Somebody said, if you take your Bible and stand it up on end and let it fall open, it should fall open to Romans chapter 6. I'm not sure about that, but there are some incredible truths here in this passage we want to look at tonight. And, and uh, on your, in your book there, you see this little chart that looks like this. Um, we, we have certain things in our life. We talked about sin. If you have that book in the back, there's a, a list of a number of them. And we have certain desires. But what, what causes those things? Uh, if you want to chop down a tree, uh, if you want to kill a tree and you just pick the fruit, you know that a year later you're going to have the same problem because you only get rid of a tree by getting rid of the roots. And, and the problem is a lot of times we're dealing with desires and symptoms and really not chopping out the disease or the source. We, we defined sin last week as breaking God's law in thought, word, or deed. Well, tonight we want to look at the behind the scenes, what is causing those wrong thoughts, words, and deeds. And it's, I want to suggest it's the spirit of pride, carnality, and selfishness. It is the self-life, and we want to talk about that from Romans chapter 6 tonight and, and look and see what God has to say. Let's, let's go to the Lord and, and uh, ask Him to meet with us tonight. Father, thank you for these folks, and again, I know there's a lot of places they could be tonight. Thank you that they're here, and I pray that you would use these next moments in an um, insightful way, a reminding way, that we would be um, seeing life from your perspective, and we'll give you praise. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. I heard about a guy who wanted to go on a uh, cruise. He'd never been on a cruise before and didn't have a whole lot of money. But he, he went to the travel agent and he said, I, I, I've just always wanted to go on a Caribbean cruise. This is all the money I have. Can I, can I, can I go? And the, and the agent said, you know, there's a ship that's leaving tomorrow. And because it's last minute, I can, I can probably get you on. It won't be the biggest, tallest, highest state room. But he said, I don't care what the room is like. If I can get on that, I'll do it. So he spent every dime he had and he bought this ticket. He went home. He was so excited. He's going on this cruise the next day. And, and so he started to pack his suitcase. And, and then the thought came, what am I going to do for spending money? I just, that's okay. I don't need to buy trinkets. I'm, and then the thought came to him, what am I going to do for food? Never been on a cruise before. So, so he got some white bread and some peanut butter, and he made himself a week's worth of peanut butter sandwiches. So he packed one suitcase full of peanut butter sandwiches and another suitcase full of clothes. And the next morning he got up, he went down there to the ship, went up the gangplank, and they showed him where his room was. It was on a lower floor, but that was okay. He went down there and loaded all of his clothes in one, one drawer and all the peanut butter sandwiches into another. Went back up the deck of the ship, and they were having their bon voyage party, and uh, they set sail. It was a great day. It was, everything was wonderful. Got time for supper. He went down the elevator, got his peanut butter sandwich, choked it down with some water, went back up the deck of the ship. Next morning, peanut butter sandwich for breakfast, one for lunch, one for evening. And, and, and this went on for a couple of days, and, and, and it wasn't a bad thing. I mean, he was you know, enjoying whatever you do on the cruise, but, but every time it was mealtime, to make matters worse, he had to walk past these eating areas. He'd look through the windows and he'd see all these people just gorging themselves in, in every kind of food imaginable. And he was choking down stale peanut butter sandwiches. After about three days, they get all crusty and stale, you know. He was sitting by the pool after about three days. And, and one of the porters came by and put some food to a couple next to him. And he grabbed the porter. He said, listen, I, I can't take it anymore. I have no money. I've spent every money on my ticket, but I have got to have a meal like that. I will peel potatoes. I'll swab the decks. What do I have to do to get a meal like that? And, and the porter said, sir, all you have to do is ask. The food comes with the cruise. I think a lot of us are going through the Christian life. And Jesus said, I am come that you might have life and might have it abundantly. And we're living on stale peanut butter sandwiches when the food comes with the cruise. God has promised some victory in our lives, and some of us live the most defeated, miserable life possible. 
And Romans 6, I believe, gives us some solutions as to how to change that. And I want to suggest if you will deal with three things on a daily basis, you can walk in spiritual victory in your life. And the, and the main text I want us to look at here is Romans, the sixth chapter. So stand with me. You'll be sitting for a while, so stand for a moment. Let's look at this passage. We'll read it through and then come back and look at it. Romans chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may increase? Absolutely not. God forbid. May it never be. How shall we, underline this, who died to sin still live in it? For don't you know you've been baptized in Jesus Christ? You were baptized into his death. Therefore, as you were buried with him through baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised and dead by the glory of the Father, even so you also might walk in newness of life. Baptism is a picture. And he said, just as baptism pictures the death, that's why we do immersion, because it's a better picture. Just as that baptism pictures the death, he says, you've also become united in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, verse 6, that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be done away with so you would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. Father, again, please just take these moments, use them for your kingdom's sake, and we'll give you praise. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. You can be seated. This passage we're going to come back and look at, and I was just, I, I just kind of, put this together this afternoon, so I'm going to throw it in here. This, this passage deals with four selves. I'm going to walk through these four in just a minute. It talks about the old self, the new self, myself, and himself. And I, I think with this clarification, it kind of helps me understand this passage a little better. We're going to talk about the old self, what we were born with, the new self that we get as believers, myself, which is this body of fleshly sin I live in, and then himself, God, who has delivered me from that old self. So just keep those four selves in mind, and we're going to walk through this passage together. Three things if you'll deal with on a daily basis. If you'll deal, first of all, with the search life. Now, we've already talked about this. If every day as you start your day with God, you start by saying, God, show me anything in my life. If if you'll tomorrow morning when you get up and you're going through that five days of a holy hour commitment, if you'll start tomorrow morning with these three things at point number one in your holy hour, it'll, it'll be helpful just to lay a pattern for your day. So you start by saying, God, show me anything in my life, whatever he shows you, you repent of, and then you replace it. On that list in your book of those 52 or 55 sins, there's also 55 positive things to put back in their place. You don't just put off the wrong. You've got to add back what is right. Now, we've already talked about that this week, so that's the first thing. Every day, deal with sin. Secondly, it's the surrendered life, and that is dealing with self. And that's where we're at here in Romans chapter 6. So back to this passage, Romans 6, verse 1. Shall we keep on sinning to get get more grace? Absolutely not. He who has died, and and, and again, he's not talking to dead people, right? He's writing this this book to a a group of believers in Rome. For he who has died, why, why do we still live in something we're dead to? And then he gives this picture of baptism. And baptism pictures are, are death, burial. But, but Dan, when you baptize somebody, you don't leave them under the water, right? No, right? Okay, I hope not. Yeah, you, maybe some, you wanted to, but you didn't do that. You, you brought them back out. And, and the picture is a resurrection. And, and so just as baptism identifies the death of the old man, it also identifies and pictures the resurrection of the new life, the new self that's inside of us. And, and then it says, there's something, he says, I want you to know, something I want you to acknowledge. 
So verse 6, I want you to see three things here in this passage. First of all, knowing this, that our old self or the old man is dead. So of those four selves, the first self is the old self. Now, I I, want to just take a a pause here and say, in in these days, we've been talking about a lot of things, and and, and God's doing some great things in a lot of people's lives. But the the real test is not going to be what happens when we pull off the parking lot. What happens in these two weeks? The the real test is where are you going to be in two months, two years? Where are you going to be 20 years from now? And and if you want to continue to live in victory with God and in intimacy with God, that the question is not just this short short session of time together. We understand that we, we, we have a holy God. And we understand we read the, the Holy Bible and we're indwelt by the, the Holy Spirit and God lives in the habitation of holiness. And we understand all that about holiness. But here's the deal. The greatest thing God can do is to take a sinful man out of this sinful world, make that man holy, and put him back into a sinful world and keep him holy. It's not just about having a, a washing every now and then. It's about how do, how do we live that way? And, and, and purity of heart is, is, the, is the first starting point. But there always must follow death to self. And until we put to death that, that old man that, that, that uh, jumps back on that throne of our life, and, 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 and until we really learn to put to death the, the self-seeking and the self-will, the self-defense, the self-piety, the self-importance, the self-pride, until that is put to death, we're just going to jump back in the same problem. Martin Luther said, I don't fear the Pope and all his cardinals as much as I fear that which lives within my heart, self. And, and, and the problem is we all face that battle. Jesus nailed our self-life to the cross. How horrible it is for us to take it down off the cross and hug it and embrace it and live in it. So, so, so how do we deal with it? How do we see that change? Well, we have to acknowledge this about these four selves. There's the old self, the new self, myself, and himself. That's God. Okay, so, so look at the, the, the first thing we see here is that old self, the old man, your version may say the old man, that is the Adamic nature you were born with. When Adam was created, he had one nature. It was a nature to do right. And God put him in his garden and said, do anything you want, just don't eat from that one tree. Adam did what he was told not to do. And in doing that, he lost his freedom of choice. But in Christ... We regain that freedom of choice. The Old Testament looks forward to his death. We look back at his death. But in Christ, we now regain that freedom again. But a lost person, we're all born with his Adamic nature. We're, we're, we're born sinners, and then we live in sin. We're twofold the child of hell. Until God comes and takes that and changes that and puts to death that old nature and gives us a new nature. Everything a lost person does is sin. I try to get mad at lost people. I mean, it's not a good thing that they do bad things, but it makes sense to me that lost people do lost things. The Bible says it's sin for a lost person to pray. The Old Testament says the prayer of the wicked is an abomination. It's sin for a lost person to go to work. Proverbs says the plowing of the wicked is sin. For them to plow their crop, plant their crop, because their motive is not for God's glory, it's for their own. It's sin for a lost person to give money. The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination. Everything a lost person does is sin. Jesus looked at a group of lost people. He said of them, you're of your father the devil and the lust of your father you're going to do. I understand lost people do lost things. 
Here's the thing that's hard to fathom. Why do saved people do lost things? Why do those of us that, that have this passage, that have this understanding that that old Adamic nature we were born with, that old self has been put to death? The old man is dead. Now, now, I want you to write this down. You may not agree with it and it may sound like heresy, but you can erase it later. But here's what that means. I don't have to sin anymore. I'm not saying you won't sin. I'm not talking about sinless perfection here. I'm just saying as a believer, you don't have to sin. See, I can do anything a lost person can do, but there's one thing I can do that they can't. I can stop. I can change. And and as a believer, the old Adamic nature you were born with, that old self has been replaced by the new self. Now, we still live in a body of sin. We still have flesh. But the control that the enemy once had has been broken. And, and, And God has set us free not only from the penalty of sin, which was hell, One day he'll set us free from the presence of sin, which is heaven. In the meantime, he has set us free from the power of sin. And the problem is that some of us are still living like we're in bondage in the power of someone who does no longer control us. But we're so used to doing that, we just just do it anyway. Now, let me ask you a question, just to illustrate that. How many of you believe it's possible for you personally to go an entire 24-hour period without consciously committing a sin. Let me see your hand wave in the air. Okay, how about this? Possible for you personally to go one hour without consciously committing a sin. Let me see your hand. Possible, one hour. Okay, we've got a few more. One minute. Possible for you personally to go one minute without consciously committing a sin. Let me see your hand. One minute. We haven't got everybody. One second. Possible for you personally to go one second. It's possible without consciously committing a sin. Let me see in one second. Can you do that? Okay. If you can go a second, you can go a minute. If you can go a minute, you can go an hour. If you go an hour, you can go a day. But why don't only about five people raise their hand when I said a day? Because we have this attitude of, I'm just this old sinner saved by grace, which we are sinners saved by grace. But I'm just kind of this whole, you know, whole terrible person. And, uh, you know, someday God's going to return and you know, take me out of here. But until then, that's just kind of the way I am. That's like saying to your kids, I know you're going to go to school tomorrow. And you're probably going to lie and steal and mouth off the teacher and steal somebody's lunch money and get in a fight. But, but try to do your best, would you? And, and we get up and say, now, God, today I'm probably going to be angry. I'm probably going to be immoral. But I'll be back tomorrow to confess it all. What a horrible way to live. Listen, I don't ever plan to sin again in my life. How many of you are planning to sin? Let me say, if you're planning to sin, of course not. Except those who have the radar detectors in your car. But other than that, um, you're not planning to sin. I, t- I talked to a pastor this morning, a church I was at in Mississippi some time ago. I remember I was at his church and, and uh, in Sunday school, third Sunday, uh, one of the, there was a judge in the church and he got up and he gave a testimony. And he said, God has convicted me. I'm a, I'm a judge. Everybody knows I'm a judge. And I've got a radar detector in my car. And here I am trying to avoid and, and outsmart the law. And he said, God just showed me I need to get rid of my radar detector. I was talking to him after the service. We had another service then. After the next service, he said, you know, Steve, I went to the bathroom between Sunday school and church and three guys came in and offered to buy it from me. <laughs> they missed the point, right? Okay. Uh, so, so anyway, we, we don't plan to sin. So you say, well, see, if you don't have to sin, then why do you sin? 
because there's the old self that's dead, there's the new self, and then there's myself. I live in this body of flesh. And, and, and though the flesh is present, it doesn't have to be president. Every day is election day. Every, go, every day you go to the polls and you decide, okay, who is going to sit on the throne of my life today? Who, is, who am I going to elect to be in charge of my life today? And every day is, is an election. And, and if you choose yourself, if, if you choose your flesh, myself on the throne, then, then you're going to fail. But if you choose the new self, the self that God has given you, that the freedom in Christ has come, then you can walk through your day not giving in to the demands of your flesh. Temptation is the enticement to satisfy a God-given desire in a God-forbidden way. Listen to that again. Temptation, this is Peter Lord's definition. Temptation is the enticement to satisfy a God-given desire in a God-forbidden way. That there's nothing wrong with eating. Okay? E eating is, is a good thing. God, God designed eating. But we sometimes try to get that need to eat fulfilled in a God-forbidden way. That would be overeating or gluttony. Sex is a God-given desire. We talked about that the other night. It was God's idea. But when we try to get that need met outside of the boundaries of this book, and, and so we're not married, we're, we're, we're doing things that people are not married to, and God puts sex in the boundaries of marriage, we do it outside of that. You're, it's a God-given desire met in a God-forbidden way. You know, even revenge is a God-given desire. The Bible wants you to get revenge. How do you do that? Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who despitefully use you. Revenge is a great thing. If you're doing it God's way, if you're praying and blessing, but, but every temptation comes at the point of a God-given desire. And so Satan tries to take that God-given desire and cause you to get that fulfilled in a God-forbidden way. So, so as, a, as a Christian now, with this new nature, this new self, I don't have to sin. He said, then, then why do you sin? I sin because I choose to. Not because I have to. I sin because I choose to. And turn to the person next to you and say to them, I don't have to sin anymore. Say that to the person next to you, will you? I'm not sure you're really excited. Th this guy got excited about it. Turn to the person on the other side of you. Say it like he would say, I don't have to sin anymore. I'm not sure you really, uh, really, really believe that. <laughs> I heard about a guy who lived in an old, rotten, run-down apartment complex. It was just a disaster. He, he had signed a lease he couldn't get out of, and it was just uh, the, the, the manager was a bear. And every time, you know, it was time for the rent, the manager was there, and this guy didn't have a great job and didn't really have a lot of funds. And, but the manager, if there was a problem, you know, if there was a leaky faucet or something, he'd call the, the landlord and he'd say, yeah, fix it yourself. But any time the rent was due, man, that landlord was there. One day, he was sitting around his life, just miserable as normal, and, and he heard a knock at the door. He didn't want to answer. He thought, is it, is, it, is it the landlord? Is it time for the rent already? But they kept knocking, and he peered through a crack, and he saw it was some guys in construction uniforms. He opened the door and said, can I help you? And they said, yes, we've come to remodel your apartment. He said, okay. And they came in, and for two weeks, they, just, they put new carpet, new wallpaper, painted the ceilings. They, they put a, a, you know, a sleep number bed in the bedroom and a jacuzzi in the bathroom. And, and the, in the kitchen, there was a microwave, a garbage disposal, a refrigerator. They made ice cubes in the door. I mean, all new furniture, lazy boy recliner with a vibrating button and a heater pad. It, it was just great. And, and they finished all this renovation. And as they were leaving, this guy follows them with his suitcases and, and fought, walking out. And they stopped. They said, is, is there a problem? But you don't like what we did here? He said, I love it. 
He said, there's no way I can afford this. I couldn't afford it when it was a dump. I can't afford it now. Basically, we forgot to tell you, somebody bought out this complex, this apartment complex, and they want all the tenants to live here free of charge. And if you have any needs, here's their business card. You need a job, need some extra cash. They're available 24 hours a day. You just let us know and, 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 and they'll take care of it. And they left. Man, this guy was just, didn't know what to do. It's too good to be true. I mean, he sat down in his lazy boy and kicked up the leg stand, turned on the vibrating button, the heater pad, kind of floated off in Never Neverland. I mean, this is great. Hadn't sat there too long though till he heard another knock at the door. He jumps up and he throws the door open and, and here stands the old landlord. The old landlord says, what are you doing? Oh man, I'm enjoying my new place. This is so great. The old landlord says it was all a mistake. He said, what? They, they, they got the wrong apartment complex. It was supposed to be across the street. All this stuff that's in there, you need to move it out into that truck or I'm going to bill you for every dime of it. And, and the guy said, I, I didn't think you own this place. Anymore. I still own this place. Your rent is due. You better get this stuff out and pay your rent or you're going to jail. And this guy was in such a habit of listening to the old landlord. He moved out the furniture and paid the rent. What's that a picture of? It's a picture of our life, isn't it? God finds us in a miry pit. He pulls us up. He sets us on a solid rock. He gives us a new lease on life. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. He renovates our life from top to bottom. And he says, listen, if you need something, I am available 24 hours a day. You know, God has a telephone number. God's telephone number is Jeremiah 33.3. Call unto me and I will show you great and mighty things which thou knowest not. And, and so then we're, we're enjoying this new thing, this new life. But the old landlord comes around, the devil. He has no authority. He has no power over you anymore. But he acts like he does. And he says, um, yell, at, yell at your husband. Boy, I don't think I should yell. yell at your, yeah, yes, sir. L- look at that pornography. I don't think I should. Yeah, yeah, look at that pornography. Yes, sir. Now, he has no authority anymore. But you're in such a habit of doing what the old landlord says, you just do it. Not because you have to. He has no power. He has no authority anymore. We do it because we choose to. So, so the first thing we see here in this passage is that we sin, not because we have to. We have been given a new self. The old self, the old man is put to death. A new self has come to take up residence, but we still live in myself. So, so know this, the old man is dead. Here's the second thing I want you to see. Move on down a few verses. He says in verse 11, even so, here it is again, consider yourself, underline this, to be dead to sin. There it is again. How much more clear can it be? Consider yourself dead to sin. So some, some versions uh, don't say uh, consider. King James says reckon, reckon yourself. Texas Paul is a southerner, I reckon. I'm not sure. But it, 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 what it means is count it as a fact. Believe this. I want you to believe this. The old man is dead, but don't stay dead. You don't stay under the water. Remember the, uh, you know, if you ever watch an old time Western and they have a, a, a wander poster that says wanted dead or alive. This verse is entitled wanted dead and alive. Dead to sin, yes, but you don't stay under the water in the baptismal picture. You come out dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. So so the second thing he wants us to see here is to know or to acknowledge the old man is dead and then to believe I can choose against sin and against self. He says, here's the truth. The old man is dead. I want you to believe this. But, But sometimes we just don't live in that reality. Many of you are familiar with Romans 12, 1 and 2. 
I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercy of God, you present your bodies a what? A living sacrifice. And what is the problem with a living sacrifice? It crawls off the altar, exactly. So, so what we do is we present ourselves a living sacrifice on the sacrificial altar. We get off the throne and we move on the sacrificial altar. And we're sitting on that sacrificial altar and we see the way God is driving our life. And we say, mm, I'm not sure that's the way I want to go. And we jump off that sacrificial altar and we say, God, now, you know, you, you haven't been around for about 2000 years. And, and, you know, th things are different now than they were back, you know, in the first century. So why don't you just get in the back seat and let me drive for a while? You can do that, but you're going to crash. You see, in the throne of your heart, there's one seat. You ever seen two people try to sit on the same seat? We, uh, we, we have six kids and, and, and we had them. Um, we had three little boys, and then, and then uh, Debbie got pregnant again, and we got our fourth. And, and so I, I remember it was in the, the car seat, you know, um, era, uh, still was, started then. And, and so, so Debbie had to sit in the second seat of our van with the baby. And so that meant that the passenger seat was available. And so every time we got ready to go someplace, it was like, who, what boy was going to be the first one to get in that seat? Because everybody wanted the passenger seat. And so they would run out of the house. One would come in the driver's seat, one the passenger seat, one the back. And they would all converge on one seat. You know what you have when you have three people try sitting on one seat? You have a war. That's what you have right there. But in the throne of your heart, there's just one throne, one seat. And God is not going to fight you for that. And if you say, I'm going I'm to drive it, I'm going to run it, you say, okay, you're going to crash, you're going you're to mess up. But if you think you know better, and, and, and you don't run part and he runs part, it's, it's one person sits there. And, and the problem is we have pushed God off the throne rather than staying on that sacrificial altar. It, it becomes actually a time now where every time you're tempted, you go to the cross. You're, you're going to be someone's slave. Look at, look at down at verse 16 in this chapter of Romans 6. Don't you know when you present your members to someone as slaves for obedience, you are the slaves of the one whom you obey? Two options. Either sin resulting in death. Option two, obedience resulting in righteousness. You, you are going to be someone's slave. And you present yourself as a slave to God and stay on that sacrificial altar, or you say, I'm going to serve myself. I'm going to serve my own body. And, 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 and if you do that, then again, you, you're going to crash. Every time God's will and your will cross, God says, I want you to fast. And your flesh, myself, says, I want to feast. What do you have to do? You die to what you want and go God's way. God says, I, I, I want you to, to pray. And the flesh says, I want to play. Die to what you want. Go God's way. God says, I want you to, to read my word. And the flesh says, I want to watch TV. You die to what you want. Go God's way. God says, I want you to respect that authority. And the flesh says, I don't like that authority. You die to what you want. Go God's way. Every time God's will and your will cross, it's a choice. You have to make a choice. Am I going to stay on the altar? Or am I going to get off that altar and say, God, I'm, I'm, I'm going to do what I want to do. You live in this body of flesh. So what do I do when I'm tempted? Picture yourself upon the cross. Paul said, I am crucified. Better translation, co-crucified. I am co-crucified with Christ, Galatians 2.20. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. It's, it's not me living. I'm going to stand the altar on the cross, and I'm going to let God run my life. But it's hard to do that. It's just hard to live that way. 
Let's just say tonight that uh, Dan died, just dropped over and kind of messed up the service. And so, anyway, so we're 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 at, we're at Dan's funeral, and um, he's got a very large coffin, and and they were all um, walking back, walking past his coffin, and and uh, whatever you say to funeral, you know how natural he looks or, or whatever. And and uh, let's just say for some reason you didn't like Dan. Can't imagine why, but let's say you didn't like Dan. And so after a bit, it kind of clears out. You look down in the coffin and say, Dan, I'm glad you're gone. I didn't like you anyway. I didn't like your attitude. I didn't like your altitude. Uh, you, you, you had uh, bad breath, B.O. I am glad you're gone. About that time, he sits straight up in that coffin and punches you in the face. Now, you know what Dan's problem was? He wasn't dead. He was just real sick. See, that's our problem. We're not dead. We're just real sick. You let somebody push us too far, and we jump off the cross, get out of the coffin, and we punch him out. Now then, if you're really dead and somebody insulted you, what would you do? Nothing. Are you ticklish? A little bit. Okay. If they tickled you in your most ticklish spots, if you're really dead, what would you do? Nothing. Nothing. If they start pulling off the few remaining hairs on these bald spots on top, if, if you're really dead, what would you do? Nothing. Nothing. You know why? Because dead people can't respond. Death is the inability to respond. That's what death is. Psalm 119, 165 says, Great peace have they that love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. Nothing. Dead people can't respond. And the only reason that we're angry, the only reason that we're lashing out at people, is because we've not claimed the position that we have. The old Adamic nature we're born with is dead. And as long as you're dead, you can't respond. But if you're reacting and responding and getting angry and frustrated, that's because you've jumped back on the throne. And, and every time you're willing, God's will cross, you get a chance. And, and by the way, the way you behave at home shows who's really alive in your life. It's not what you do here. I was in a meeting some time ago where uh, one of the staff members gave a testimony. He said, my grade school daughter came to me this week. She said, Dad, I like you better at church. And he said, you know what? That's true. Because at church, I'm kind to people. I'm helping people. When I get home, I'm a different person. Does your family like you better at church? They like you better in public than behind the doors of your home? Jesus wouldn't talk like that. He wouldn't act like that. And, and who's really alive is not showing up when you're sitting here trying to behave and, and take notes and whatever. It shows behind the doors of your home when no one sees. Now, is this a one-time commitment where we all come forward and we all say, okay, from now on, I'm going to be dead to myself? No, Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4.10, always bearing in my body the dying of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's, it's the question I asked the first Sunday. Who gets control? If Jesus is on the throne, you can't sin. The only way you can sin is to push Jesus off the throne and to jump back in, charge, and take over. Now, I'm, I'm not saying that's easy. We want, we want gain but no pain. We want advancement, no adversity. We want life, no death. We want growth, but no pressure. We want it to be easy. I, I read someplace there are 80 million overweight people in America. Those are round figures. And um, you, know, you, you can go to almost any uh, uh, grocery store, and they have these, uh, these checkout, these magazines, the checkout stands. I'm not sure who buys them. I mean, they're just, you know, stupid. I mean, you know, you know uh, Obama meets with space aliens, you know, and uh, two-headed dolphin gives birth to a three-headed gorilla, and, and uh, yeah, just, just crazy things. And some, somebody must buy them because they put 
new ones up every week. I, I saw one one time. I wish I would have bought it and, and just made a slide of it. The, the, it was a picture of a nose on the front with a little mustache underneath. And the caption said, Hitler's nose found, mustache still attached. Somebody bought that. I mean, somebody paid money to read about this great archaeological discovery of Hitler's nose. I mean, seriously. Anyway, on those um, magazines, at some sidebar, you'll find something that says something like this. Try our new diet, lose weight easily. Or try this movie star's diet, eat anything you want, lose 10 pounds a week. Or try our new banana and coconut diet. You don't lose weight, but when you climb trees. And, and, and people buy those things like mad. Why? Because they say easy and, and no effort. Now answer me this. Is it easy to lose weight? Yes or no? Absolutely not. But, but we want the ease of life. We don't want to have to say no to our flesh. Not just in the air of eating. We don't want to ever say no to our flesh. We want to pamper our flesh. I'm not saying this is easy. But it's a choice that you've got to make day in and day out. And, and here's what I found. Whatever you are refusing to let go of, whatever is keeping you from dying is keeping you from living. Whatever you're saying, I am just not going to let go. I'm not going to die to that. I've got the right to my temper. If someone wrongs me, I'm going to punch him back. And as long as you're holding on to your right to your temper, you're you're never going to walk in spiritual victory. I've got the right to my freedom. No one's going to tell me what to do. I'm, I'm an adult. I'm 18. I'm 80. Whatever. No one's gonna, and, and as long as you hold on to your right to your freedom, you'll, you'll never let Christ be on the throne. I've got the right to my position. I've worked hard for this. It's been, it's been a long time and, and people should respect this position. If you claim your right to anything, whatever is keeping you from dying is keeping you from living. Get the right to my future. Worked hard for this. In my retirement years, and I, I, I have a right to have, have my things and my time and, and live for myself. I've got the right to the good life. I've got the right to my, my reputation. If someone says something wrong, then I'm going to correct them because I, I, I've got to protect my reputation. Jesus made himself of no reputation, Scripture says. I, I've got the right to, to this certain lifestyle or this certain area of sin in my life. I, I need this. Whatever is keeping you from dying... Is keeping you from living. Two things we've learned that God wants us to deal first of all with our sin and with ourself here in Romans 6. We're to know the old man is dead. We're to reckon that is true. The fact is my, my, my truest self, my new self, the new self in me, the old man, the old self is gone. The new self loves the law of God. God has put in our hearts an inward desire to do the will of God. Our, our inward man, our new man, loves holiness. Though sin still remains in his body of flesh, the, the strength it once had no longer controls us. It doesn't have to control our, our personality. We are able to be led now by the Spirit of God in ways that an unregenerate person does not. When a non-Christian, when someone is not a follower of Christ, when they sin, they're, they're acting in accordance with their true identity. That's who they are. Why wouldn't they sin? But, but when someone who is united with Christ in salvation, when the Holy Spirit comes to indwell us, everything changes. Because who we are changes on the inside. There, there's a new me. There's a new self. When, when a Christian sins, we're acting against our identity. Why, why would we sin? Therefore, I, I don't sin. I, the reason I sin is because I'm not realizing who I really am. I have forgotten what Christ has done in me. And so we read here back in Romans 6 now. We left off 
And verse number 11, he says in verse 12, Romans 6, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. We, we live in this body of flesh, and we will until we're taken to be with the Lord until he returns. But don't live in that. Don't obey it in its lusts. Do not, verse 13 says, go on presenting the members of your body to sin. What's a member? What's a member? A member is a hand, an eye, a mind, a mouth, a tongue. Don't keep presenting the members of your body to sin as there's the of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead. We've been resurrected. We've, we've come through that picture of baptism. And your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you. So, so, so what does that teach us? We're to know the old man is dead. We're to reckon it so. And then we're to yield. We are to surrender to him. So, so Romans 6 is know, reckon, and yield. I, I acknowledge the old man is dead. I believe it is true. And now who am I yielding to? I'm really surrendering yourself to the lordship of Christ and your members to right living. I, I try as I get up in the morning, each morning and start my day with God to say, acknowledge my need for him. And I walk through this little process, dead to sin, dead to self, and, and, and then yielding to the spirit. And, and, and what, I, what I try to say each morning is, God, today, I pray you would look through my eyes, talk through my mouth, listen through my ears, think through my mind, live through me today. I give him my problem members. I, I don't say, God, today would you take care of my pancreas and my hypothalamus and, and you know, help my spleen. That, that may be your problem member. My problem member is my tongue, my eyes, my ears, my mind, my hands, my feet. I, I give him specifically the members I'm having the most difficulty with. And when we're yielding to him, we're really yielding to the Holy Spirit who indwells us. So every day, deal with sin, deal with self, and then thirdly, deal with the Holy Spirit of God. That every day you acknowledge the indwelling Spirit of God in you. Now, here's just a few things about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God. He's not a ghost. He's not a force. He's not an it. When you got saved, you got all the Holy Spirit you're ever going to get. You can't get part of him now, part of him later. People say, give me more of the Spirit. No, no, you, you don't get part of a person. Can you imagine when his teenagers going to date some girl in the youth group and, and he goes to the house and knocks on the door and, and, and uh, dad says, well, I'm not sure if I really trust you yet. I want you to take her hand out. So he gives her her hand. You take her hand out and you hold hands and clean her fingernails, whatever. And then, and then the next night you come back. I want you to dry it out again. He's, he did pretty good with the hand. So he gives the hand and the foot. You put the foot in the trunk, take the hand out. You, you can't do that. You can't get part of a person. The Holy Spirit is a person. And when you got saved, you got all the Holy Spirit you're ever going to get. The question is, are you going to allow him to permeate, to control your life? Here's some things about the Holy Spirit. He indwells us. The Bible says we have this treasure in earthen vessels. When someone says God lives in my heart or I ask Christ into my life, it is really not God the Father, God the Son. It is God the Holy Spirit that indwells the believer. Jesus said, I must leave so that the paraclete, the called alongside one, the Holy Spirit can come. He indwells us. He also convicts us. If you've ever been convicted, that's the Holy Spirit. He convicts of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. He baptizes us. There's a lot of controversy about that. I believe what that means is he seals us into the family of God. And here, here's the most um, known verse about the Holy Spirit. He fills us. Ephesians 5.18, be not drunk with wine or success, but be filled with the Spirit. You know how a lot of churches read that verse? 
Then read it like this. Be not drunk with wine or success, but be filled with the Spirit. You know what I mean by that? So we don't mind talking about alcohol and drunkenness. That's fine. But, but, but that's really not what the verse is talking about. That the verse is drawing an illustration. It, just as alcohol, when it comes into your body, affects every cell. It doesn't just stay in one location. You don't, you don't pour beer on your toe and say, my big toe's drunk. It doesn't work that way. It goes into your circulatory system and goes through all the little capillaries so that every part of your body is under the influence of that alcohol. And he says, just as alcohol influences every extremity of your life, the Holy Spirit of God should influence and control every extremity of your life. Let me explain it like this. We're made up of three parts, body, soul, and spirit. Some would say two, but we won't go there. And, and so when you get saved, you have this God-shaped void inside of you, and God comes to fill that void. And the person of the Holy Spirit comes to indwell you. His job then is to move out and to make you look like Jesus. The job of the Holy Spirit is not to bring attention to himself, but it's to bring attention to Jesus. So he conforms you to the image of the Son. So he comes to your life and he says, I want to talk to you about some of your friends. They're just not leading you in the right way. You're, just, you're, you're around. You become like the people you're around. If you're around materialistic people or immoral people, and that's become the people that you fellowship with and spend all your time with, you become like the people you're around. And I want to be in charge of your friendships. He's okay, Lord. I will only have close, intimate friends. And that doesn't mean you shouldn't inter- interact with people in the world, but your close friends, if you want to run towards Jesus, find some of the people who are running toward Jesus and join them, right? So he says, I want to be in charge of your friends. You can have that. He says, I want to talk to you about your television. There's some things you're watching that's just immoral, and it's just too much, or, or whatever, and I want to be in charge of your, of your entertainment, of your social media. Of all. Okay, Lord, you, you can have my Facebook, you can have my TV, you can have my phone, what, I'll give you that, okay? And he says, I want to talk to you about your clothes. There, there's some things you're wearing, it's not, it's not drawing attention to your face, your clothes should draw attention to your face. And, and, and there's some things you're wearing. It's just not best. I, I, I want to be, okay, Lord, you can have my wardrobe. So I want to talk to you about your sports. It's, it's just too important. You're spending too much time on soccer. I mean, it's just too much soccer. I mean, soccer is just a problem. Uh, whatever, uh, anyway, and, and, and whatever your sport, or knitting, whatever your sport is, and, uh, um, or, or, or golf or whatever it might happen to be. And, and you say, okay, Lord, you can have my golf clubs, my knitting needles, whatever your sport is. And, and, you, you, and, and little by little, God becomes, comes into that area of your life. He begins to fill that part of your life and make it look like Jesus. Now, now, what does it take to stop the working of God in your life? All it takes is one time for you to say no. He comes to you and says, now, let me talk to you about your finances. He said, wait a minute, God. I have given you my friends, my TV, my clothing, my sports. What do you want, everything? Yeah. That's what he thought you were saying. You said, all to Jesus I surrender, all them I freely give. All means all, that's all, all means. Now, now when you say no to God, do you lose your salvation? No. It's just you just push him off the throne. And you, you said, okay, uh, I'm going to get off that altar. I'm going I'm to be in charge. You, you can't let God control 90% and you control 10. You say, God, listen, I'll take care of my finances. You take care of the rest. It doesn't work that way. There's one chair, one seat, one Lord, one steering wheel. It's either you or God. And his desire is to come and to fill every part of your life, permeate every capillary, every extremity, so it all begins to look like Jesus from the inside out. 
Now, now it starts on the inside, but then the whole life then becomes controlled under the influence of the Spirit. And when that happens, when you get bumped, Jesus comes out. Somebody cuts in front of you, what comes out? Jesus comes out. I was in, a, in uh, Atlanta. A guy came and uh, gave a testimony. He said, uh, I, I was learning this thing about grace, and I, I'm walking in the Spirit, and, and I drive downtown Atlanta, and, and every day I have to go down there. It's a long trip, and man, I just, I just get behind that wheel, and people are cutting me off, and I'm hawking at him, yelling at him. And he said, so today, I just said, I, I want to walk in the Spirit. And when people cut me off, I prayed for them. He said, it was incredible. It was just such a great day. I, three people cut me off, and I just, I just prayed for every one of them that did it. I was, I was talking to him a few days later in the meeting. I said, how'd your day go today? He said, oh, it was a bad day. I said, why? He said, nobody cut me off. <laughs> he was looking for those opportunities to, to get bumped. I was in a meeting where there was a guy, he was a, a weightlifter, great big buff guy. And he said, I, I was at the gym this morning. I, I was loading some of these weights on this big bar and I, and I slid them together and jammed my finger in the, in the middle. And I jumped up and I said, praise the Lord. It's about scaring me to death. I looked in the mirror. I said, who said that? And he was walking in the spirit. He got squeezed and Jesus came out. That's why the, the verb tense in that passage is continuous action. It should read be on being filled with the spirit. Why? Because we leak. We should be leaking. We should be leaking all over the place. So you got to keep on being filled. It's not just a one-time event. It's every day saying, God, today, live through me, fill me, fall out of me. When I get squeezed, I want Jesus to come out behind the doors of my home, of my school, of my job. And our life should be constantly emulating and expanding because Jesus Christ, through the Spirit of God, is flowing out through us. Now, how do you get filled with the Spirit? Call it filled, call it empowered, call it controlled. Don't, don't get hung up on the semantics of this. I'm, I'm, I'm not very smart, so I, it's not real complicated. Uh, someone said that God puts all his cookies on the bottom shelf, and I think that's true. You don't have to be some great big Bible scholar, gone to cemetery, seminary or whatever, to, to be able to understand the, the, the deep things of God, the important things of God. But you have to just think it through. How, how do you feel the Spirit? It's very simple. You start by repenting of your sin. He is not going to fill a dirty vessel. So you start by confession. God, I agree. I've been proud. I've been selfish. Whatever it is. And, and we've talked about that. And then, as we talked about tonight, you admit to your death. I reckon myself dead. I count what Romans 6 says as so. It says that we've read it over and over and over. We're dead to sin. So I am going to believe what this book says and reckon myself, count myself as dead to my sin. And then here it comes. Here's, here's the great big magic bullet. How do you get filled with the Holy Spirit of God? Here's what you do. You just admit you have a need. You just say, God, would you please fill me with your spirit? That's all it is? Am I going to have some warm fuzzy? Am I going to jump over pews and roll down aisles speaking tongues? No. I, I just acknowledge I am in need of the control of the Holy Spirit of God in my life. You say, Steve, how long does that last? Until you sin. <gasps> what do I do then? You admit to it. God, I, I pushed you off the throne. I got angry. I, I, I responded wrong. Thank you for your forgiveness. I don't have to live that way. I'm not under that control. Please control, fill me. And, and how many times do you have to do that? Every time you sin. Could be 20 times a day. Could be 10 times a day. Could be five times. Could be three. Or it could be that tomorrow, you get up tomorrow morning and start your day and say, Holy Spirit of God, would you please live through me today? 
And you'll walk through your entire day controlled by the Holy Spirit of God. That is my goal for tomorrow. That should be your goal for tomorrow. It should be your goal for every day of your life to acknowledge that. If you blow it, you don't lay in the gutter. Proverbs says a righteous man falls seven times, but he gets up every time he falls. This is God. I I, I stepped out. I I crawled off the cross, but thank you for your forgiveness. And you go on. And, And God's desire is for you to live controlled by the Holy Spirit of God day in and day out in your life. There's a, there's a book by Francis Chan called The um, Forgotten God. And I, I encourage you to get a copy of it and look at it. He, he talks about some of these things in a very, a very helpful way. I, 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 I read an early illustration about a, a guy who um, had never been on, a, on an airplane before. And he got on this airplane, and, and uh, he was a little bit nervous about it. And he was one of the first ones on the plane, and, and, and uh, he, just, he just wasn't too sure about flying. And, and, and he's walking out, looking out the window, and a, a big tanker truck came and, and, and hooked hook a, a hose up into the wing. And he realized there was fuel. They started pumping fuel on those wings. And, and you could actually watch the wings sag a little bit from all the fuel. Then another truck came up, and they started unloading suitcases. And he just watched bag after bag after bag. And the people started getting on, and they got on this jumbo jet and all their jumbo bodies, and, and they, they put them, all their jumbo suitcases in the overhead compartments, and they're jamming them in there, and all the people. And, and, and more people got on there, and he started getting real nervous. And they, they taxied out in the runway, and, and they started to, to go down the runway. And he jumped up, and he said, folks, listen, I've been thinking this through. We cannot, this plane's not going to fly. There's too much weight on this plane. Now, now, listen, I have seen birds fly. And I think if all of us will stand up and help this plane, I think we can get it off the ground. So, so let, come on, let's, let's get together. Well, you, you just kind of leave people alone on planes anymore, right? And so they're all just kind of mind their own business. The, the stewardess is all strapped in. He, okay, I'll do it myself. And so, so they taxi down the runway, and he flaps his arms, and, and he gets fast. And they come in the runway, and an amazing thing happens. The plane takes off. He says, see there, y'all are pretty lucky to have me on this plane. So he's flapping away, and, and uh, they finally level off, and the seatbelt light goes off, and the stewardess now kind of trying to get down the aisle and steering around him, getting the peanuts and pop and whatever, you know. And he's having a grand old time. If you've ever done this, though, it gets tiring after a while. And he did it for a while, but after a while, his arms started to cramp. He got slower and slower and slower, and finally, he stopped. And an amazing thing happened. The plane stayed in the air. Not amazing. He wouldn't do anything in the first place. But that's what we're doing. We're saying, boy, God's pretty lucky to have me. This church pretty lucky to have me. I don't know what people do without me. And we're sitting there flapping our arms away, wearing ourselves out. God says, my burden is light. My yoke is easy. Why are we worrying ourselves out? Because we're doing things in our energy, not in the spirits. Now, now if you want the Holy Spirit, you've got to first honestly ask yourself, do you really want to do his will? Because the reality is, many times we don't. And the reason we're not releasing the grip or the control of our life It's because we want to be in charge. We don't really want to really come what may follow him. I was reading this book, Francis Chan's book about um, the forgotten God. And he said somebody came to him and and they were uh, were asking him. He said, people come to me and ask me to pray for them to be healed. And my first question is, why do you want to be healed? Do you you want me to pray for you to be healed so that you can spend more time investing your life and influence in in the kingdom? Or you just don't want to be in pain? 
And he said the same thing is true when we talk about the Spirit. People come and say, would you pray for me that I'd be filled with the Spirit? Now, you, you can't fill somebody else. It's got to be their own thing. And he said, but I, but I try to help them understand. And I say, why do you want to be filled with the Spirit? And, and, and we say, man, I, I, I want the filling of the Spirit, but why do you want that? Is it because you want to experience some kind of great feeling? Or is it because you want everything God has for you, and you want to be able to have a ministry to the church? As you read through the book of Acts, whenever the Spirit of God fell in the book of Acts, the most oft-repeated illustration of the filling of the Spirit was the good and edification of the church. It was for other people. They got filled with the Spirit so they could do things to minister and to help other people. And the most obvious reason for the filling of the Spirit was to edify the church. So let me ask you, on a scale from 1 to 10, how much do you love God's church? I don't mean this building. I mean the people here. How much do you love the church? Do you sit here and think, man, I love these people so much. I pray that God would would use me in some way to encourage these people so so they can have a a deeper walk with God. If you're alive on this planet, which I'm assuming everybody is here, it's because God has something for you to do, regardless of what your age is. And, and, And if you believe that God has put you here, not for your own pleasure, but for his pleasure and for the good of others to help them become fully alive in him, then you're going to want to be controlled and filled with the spirit. If we can live submitted to God, we will not be gratifying the flesh. The two will not coexist. The Bible says in Galatians 5, 17, that the works of the flesh are opposed to the spirit. And, and the, words of the, fle- the works of the flesh are, are strife and fits of anger and dissensions and idolatry. But the, but the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and faithfulness and self-control. And, and it says in Galatians 5.24, those that, that belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its affections and lusts. You know, well, I, I think the, the fact is, I believe most of us would say we want to be led by the Spirit. But reality is, we're kind of afraid of that. I, I know I am. I mean, what would that mean? What, what, if the, what if he asks me to give up something I don't really want to give up? What if he leads me someplace I don't really want to go? What if he told me to change jobs or, or to move? Are, are you willing to surrender to him no matter what or where he takes you? Am, am I willing to do that? I, I kind of I prefer multiple choice questions. God, I'll do this, this, or this, and I'll, you, know, you choose. But that, that, that is not the way that God leads. When you decide to put to death, to crucify your flesh, myself, and, and, and you choose the default way of, of the leading of the Spirit, it is not going to be a gentle downhill coast. Walking with the Spirit is often an uphill trudge. And there's going to be all sorts of distractions and difficulties. But at some point along the way, as, as you're walking in the Spirit and you're agreeing with God, not, not being ruled by, by fleshly desires like, like anger and self-indulgence and immorality, at some point you make a decision to crucify the flesh and walk in the Spirit. And you say, this is what I was meant for. But it's a choice. It's a choice you have to make every single day. Today, I'm going to choose to walk in the Spirit. But you have to make that choice. It's a choice. It's critical. It's crucial. And it's daily. But I want to tell you, 
It's what you were meant for. And if you will do that, if you will get in the habit of daily dealing with sin, self, and the spirit, you can walk in this victorious Christian life, this abundant Christian life that Christ came to offer. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Would you just take a moment right now and do something maybe you've never done before? Talk to the Holy Spirit. I was in a meeting some time ago. A man came to me and said, Steve, I've been a Christian 40 years. I've, I've talked to God the Father, talked to God the Son, but I've never talked to God the Holy Spirit. Just take a moment and say, Holy Spirit of God, I believe you live in me. I want to get to know you better. He takes the prayers you can't even form and delivers them to the Father. He knows your heart. And just say to him right now, Holy Spirit of God, I yield control to you. I yield my members to you. Go through the members you have the most difficulty with. God, Holy Spirit of God, would you look through my eyes? Would you talk through my mouth? Would you think through my mind? Would you fill my life? Would you please control me? Would you please make me like Jesus? Just take a moment. Talk to the Holy Spirit of God. Tell him what's on your heart. And then I'll pray. And Father, we, we are so grateful that you know what our needs are. That in your design of creation, you knew that we would have this void and this need. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have provided a way that we could be free from the penalty of sin. You're preparing a place for us, and one day we'll be free from the presence of sin. And, 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 and you have given us your spirit in this sanctification process to deliver, to deliver us from the power of sin. And Holy Spirit, we, we just acknowledge tonight that we, um, we need you. We, we, we can't do it on our own. We can't raise our kids. We can't love our wives or our husbands. We can't, we can't be the, the people of God to a lost world that we need to be. We, we can't be victorious over sin. We, we need you. And our, our flesh is weak, and we're looking forward. We're groaning with creation to the day when you return. But until that time, we just want to acknowledge again tonight that we, we are choosing once again to be dead to sin, dead to ourselves. And, and we want to be alive in you, controlled by you. And we want that to spill out of us on every person that bumps us, every person we talk with, that, that, a, that a world that is in great desperate need would see the reality of, of Jesus Christ being formed in us because of your work in us. And that you would fill this place with the overflow of your presence in us. And let that be just the common, known characteristic of Barron Center Bible Church and all the people represented here that are part of your church. Help us to live that tomorrow, dead to sin, dead to self, filled with your spirit. Let that become the mantra of our next days. And we'll give you praise. In the name of Jesus, I pray.